turn to First Peter chapter two this morning. First Peter chapter two. While you're flipping there, give you a couple things. Y'all, y'all bear with us a little bit. We this is our second run with this new microphone, and uh, I feel like I'm Garth Brooks up here. Amen. And I'm looking out there. I definitely got some friends in Lope. I mean, uh, <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> Uh, good to see you this morning in the house of the Lord. But uh, Now, we, we, we went to this type of microphone. Uh, I've been trying to stay away from them forever because it's just not my style. But, uh, but there's a lot of folks that say a couple things. I'm going to just say a couple things before we even get preaching this morning. That struggle with, you know, I preach up here a lot. And then I get quiet a lot, right? And by the way, both are necessary. By the way, I'll give you a preacher's tip. They, they both get your attention. When I'm up here, I get your attention. And then when I come down here, get your attention. And both are used in, in, in public speaking and in, in preaching to, as effect. But, but a lot of folks say when I talk regular, they can't hear me as well, especially in the back. Now, I'm going to say this real nice, real gingerly. You notice on, on the sides here, our speaker is only on this pillar and then that pillar. And then there's none on the back pillar. So there's not but so much we can do without overblowing the room the way it's designed today. But if you're having trouble listening, can I say this as sweet as I can, and you're all the way in the back, move, <laughs> and we'll end it there, amen. First Peter chapter 2 this morning, First Peter chapter 2, we'll continue here in our series on, on building up our spiritual houses, and that's what we're preaching through First Peter chapter 2, and each week we've been looking at some different truths when it comes to building up our spiritual house. In the beginning of it, if you remember, we talked about building up or, or the building blocks of becoming a mature believer, and we looked at that for a few weeks. We learned we must grow, and, and growing involves changing our output, and he told us we got to lay aside some things, and he's going to kind of circle back to that truth a little bit today, and then, then not only do we must put off, but we must put in, and we must desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby, he says in, 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 verse, in the early verses there. And, and, and you think about that putting in, we got to put in the word of God and we got to put it in on a daily basis. And then not only must we grow as, a, as building as a spiritual or a mature believer, but we must know, and we talked about that one week and how we must know no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation comes along in our life, there's one fact we must know, God is always good. And then we looked at, went on beyond this, the building blocks of a spiritual believer, a mature believer, but we looked at the building blocks of the church, and we learned the last couple of weeks that Christ is the cornerstone. Praise God for that. He's the one we're to build off of. He's our foundation, and we learned he's our supernatural stone. He's alive, amen, and he's alive forevermore, and he was the slighted stone, and He's the one that has disallowed him in. He's the select stone, the stumbling stone. And then last week we looked when it came to the church at our role, that we're the constituents or the, the contents of the church. And, and we're, we're our patterns to be just like Christ, just like he's the lively stone. We're to be lively stones. And thank God we're alive in Jesus Christ. And we saw our pattern, but we saw our priesthood too. Aren't you glad we can come boldly to the throne of grace? Amen. I'm glad I can, I can at any time, at any place in my life, because I've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, I can come boldly to my God, my Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. And thank God we have that privilege. And, and then we saw our practices too. Because of that, we're to offer up uh, 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 sacrifices of praise, the Bible told us. And, and we talked about those Old Testament sacrifices. They were with animals and with blood. But today, we can bring our sacrifice of praise. We're to give them our, our bodies, our lives, our thanksgiving and as we think about this season and, and our service and most importantly, our, our obedience. And then finally, we saw our, our, our purpose really is to worship God. 
and it's to worship him personally, and then to testify of God and tell others about him publicly. And that's where we ended last week. And as we get now to verse number 11, we're kind of shifting gears, if you will. And he's, he's continuing this same truth about building up our spiritual houses. But, but we're going to get particularly today at, look at this truth. Did you know we're all living in a glass house? A glass house. You said, whoa, 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 preacher, you told us we're, we're to build our, our houses, we're the lively stones, and we're to build our houses off of the, the chief cornerstone. Well, we certainly are, but can I tell you, when it comes to the lost world, they're watching you and me. And while we build it off the stones, can I tell you, if you're born again Christian, you're also living in a glass house. Folks are watching you, they're watching what you do. They're, 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 listen, whether you're living for God and, or whether you're not living for God, they are seeing it. Every activity, every attitude, every action of a believer is lost by or seen by this lost world. The question is simply this. What are they seeing in your life? What are they seeing when they look through the glass house of your life? Do they see somebody who claims to be a Christian but lives a life that contradicts what they claim? The Bible calls this type of Christian a stumbling block. And many of us many times have, have done some things since we've even been saved that have been a stumbling block to, to others. And, or do they see somebody who walks the walk and not only talks the talk, but lives a spirit-filled life whose lips in their life and they, they match. Listen, whether we like it or not, we're all living in glass houses and somebody is watching us. The question this morning is, what do they see? What do they see? As we continue this morning, if you'd stand, we'll read just a couple verses. I think we'll make two or so today. And uh, if you come because you want to get through the books of the Bible quick, you're in the wrong place. Amen. But if you like breaking down words and you want to know what God's word says, you're in the right place. Because uh, that's the way we believe in doing it here. So we get to verse 11. Here's that challenge that Peter gives us. He says, starts off with these two words. Look at him. Dearly beloved. He goes on and says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. They may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. And for the next little bit, Lord, I pray that you'd rest our attention. I pray, Lord, we could take the cares and the, and the, the trials and all the, the stuff we got going on in our life, Lord, and we're all just full of stuff. And we could just focus on our Savior today. Lord, you got something you want to teach us today. You're reminding us today through this scripture that the lost world is watching us, that we're living in a glass house. And Lord, there's some responsibilities. There's some roles. There, Lord, there's some, there's some truths that come with living in a glass house. Help us to see those truths and those responsibilities and those roles in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. To get our context again, you go back to verse 10, and again, he tells us, and he's reminding us, he says, which are in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Amen. And listen, because we've obtained mercy, now, now he's going to tell us some truths that come with obtaining mercy. Now, before we even get too far, we want to stop in verse 11 at the first two words because it's important. And I want to give you a principle today when it comes to that. And look how Peter starts. He says, dearly beloved. Now that you've obtained mercy, now that you've been born again by the grace of God, he's, he's reminding these Jewish believers, they, remember they were scattered from persecution, and remember because of the grace uh, of God, they had, they had repented and they believed the gospel, now they've been born again, they were no longer Jews in, in the sense that they were doing synagogue worship, they were now born again believers, members of the church, and, and they're under persecution, and he tells them, listen, let me tell you some good news right away, because you've obtained mercy, I love you. Dearly beloved. And he starts with, with building them up with this, these two words, simply saying, dearly beloved, I love you. Tells them who they are in Christ. In Christ, we are loved. Isn't that good news this morning? Can I tell you some other things we are in Christ? In Christ, I'm a brand new creature. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 still says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he, he's a new creature. All old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's who we are in Christ. In Christ, we're no longer under condemnation. How many of you are thankful for that? Hey, Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, can I tell you, as we learned last week, we're also alive. We ought to act like it every once in a while, amen? Hey, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, For as in Adam we all die. But can I tell you, hey, even so in Christ shall we all be made alive. We are lively stones. In Christ we're also seated already in heavenly places. How many of you are thankful for that? Listen, there's not a thing that's ever going to change that. I'm standing right up here in this pulpit, and you're sitting right down there in, in, in those pews, but already in Christ, we're already seated in heavenly places through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for that wonderful truth today. Hey, can I tell you this? In Christ, I can do all things. How many of you know that verse? In Philippians 4 and verse 13, and, and the Bible tells us there that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And, and in Christ Jesus, I am also this. And that's what he's saying here. Paul said we're accepted in the beloved. We're loved. Praise God for that. Listen, you can't do a thing anymore in your life to make God love you anymore than he already does. But God commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And praise God for that. He loved us when we were sinners. He loves us now that we're saved. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore than he already does. We are accepted in the beloved. And Peter starts off with the good news here. He says, dearly beloved. And, and he starts really as any good parent, as any good leader would. And he starts by building them up and who they are in Christ because he's got some hard truths to tell them. See, here's something you'll, you'll learn as a parent or as a leader, as, a, as any type of position in life. Folks will take the hard stuff if they know you love them. And he says, dearly beloved. I got some hard truths for you, but I want you to know how much I love you first. And before he gets to the nuts and bolts of that, he tells them, you're loved. Listen, this is a good principle. If, we don't, if you don't get anything else out of today's message, I hope you do, because there's some more truths we're going to get to. But it's simply do this. As a parent, as a person, any kind of leadership, listen, before you go laying down a bunch of rules, build a relationship. Somebody ought to say amen on that. Hey, before we go laying down the law, lay out some love. 
Let me give you a truth. I'm going to put it on the screens. I want you to get this. You probably have heard it said from this pulpit a hundred times. And I don't know who said it first. The first person I ever heard say it was Dr. Baker. So I'm giving him the credit. Amen. But it's, it's simply this. Rules without a relationship breeds rebellion. You want a rebellious son? You want a rebellious church? You want a rebellious employee base? You want a rebellious, uh, rebellious anything you're in charge of or over? Then here's what you do. You lay down a bunch of rules and you don't love them. But Peter says, dearly beloved, you're loved. And he builds them up before he says, but wait just a second. Let me warn you of this second truth. This one's mine. Amen. Every once in a while I get one. <laughs> i tell you the opposite's true too. A relationship without rules only leads to rottenness with no restraint. Can I tell you, they're both needed. Amen. But you better have the relationship first. And listen, if you're going to lead someone down the path of righteousness, it will require a relationship with some rules and some boundaries in. And, and Peter starts off with reinforcing the relationship. He says, dearly beloved. And then he gets into the, kind of the harder parts. And that's our responsibilities that come with living in a glass house. Look who he says we are, first of all. First he says this, our citizenship. Look what he says, I beseech you. As strangers and pilgrims. As strangers and pilgrims. Now that's an interesting, interesting couple words. The word stranger there literally means this. It means a foreigner. It means a resident alien. One who lives in a place without citizenships. Listen, if you've been saved by the grace of God. Hey, I'm here. I'm in, I'm in Carroll County. I'm in the state of Virginia. I'm in the United States of America. And maybe in the way the world looks at it, I'm a citizen here. But you know what I really am? I'm a stranger here. I'm a citizen. My citizenship is in heaven, and my conversation is in heaven. Here's how Paul put it in Philippians 3.20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we're strangers here. We're foreigners. And listen, when you're a foreigner somewhere, it invites scrutiny. And we're living in glass houses in this lost world. They're, they're, they're scrutinizing everything we do. First time I went to Nicaragua... It was my first time out of the country. I've been there several times now. And I had the privilege to preach there and, and be part of a crusade there and, and go door-to-door soul-winning there on several mission trips. And I remember the first time I went there, I, right after we got off the plane, there was something really unique that stood out right away. I'm kind of a very, pretty big guy. And, uh, and, and here I am, and, and, and Nicaraguans as a whole, the majority are not real tall people. They're a little bit shorter, and they're a little bit smaller, and I'm here I am, this bigger guy, and kind of tall. And, and right away I noticed something. I stood out. You know what I was? I was a stranger. I was a foreigner visiting their land, and, and it caused me to stand out. And because I stood out, let me tell you, they watched everything we did. It brought about some scrutiny in our life. Whatever we went, they were watching. Whatever we said, they were watching. And listen, everything, even when I got to preaching, I did everything about us was different. I was different shape, different size, different color. Everything about me was different, different language. I had to have an interpreter even. And then I even preached like a dummy, a different message. One of the first things they told us, and I'd never preached before in my life. I'll give you a story, and we'll get back to the message. But uh, I've never preached in my life. I didn't even know I was preaching this day. We went to a school, and, and we couldn't get into schools. They were doing statewide testing. We ended up in the market square, and they had an evangelist there. This is my very first time there. I'm brand new. I haven't been saved that, that long in the first place. And, and apparently my pastor had told the evangelist that he believed I was called to preach, but I hadn't figured it out yet. 
So we're in the market square and they fire up the, the, the amplifier and the generator. And I mean, I'm telling you what, whoo, there's a huge crowd there. The evangelist got the microphone in his hand and he's getting ready to preach and I'm getting ready to amen him and all that. And he said, come on, banga, banga, banga. That means come, come, come. That's about the only Spanish I know other than hola. And they, they all come in. And he had warned us in a previous meeting that any of the preachers, I went to it to be with my pastor, not because I was a preacher. And they had warned us a couple things. Listen, they really struggle with, with alcohol and drunkenness here. Just, just avoid that. Just give them Christ. Amen. And then, then they struggled some, some of the bigger struggles in that particular area that we were in where, where some Sometimes abusive relationships and husbands were abusive. And they said, just leave that alone, give them Christ. And, and, and so I here I am, the evangelist goes, Phew! and that microphone's in the air, which seems like five minutes. I'm like, why is that coming right at me? And I caught it. And he yells, preach, boy. That was my notice, amen. So I preached, amen, and I preached and I preached, and, and I, was, I was preaching right along, and my, my pastor says it better than I do, because I, 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 I had no idea what was going on, I'm just lost, I'm, but I'm preaching, I'm pre I didn't know nothing but the gospel, but I'm giving them the gospel, I'm telling them how Jesus died for their sins, and was buried and rose again, they'd repent and put their trust in him, that he would save their soul, and he said, you were just uh, preaching away, preaching away, and then all of a sudden you went, and you froze, and I said, I froze, yeah, he goes, yeah. Then he looked at some guy right up here, standing right up in the front. And you looked right at him and you pointed at him. And I kind of remember it, but I, I, I didn't remember I froze as long as I did. Obviously, it's pretty noticeable. And I said, and quit beating your wives. The one message I wasn't supposed to say. <laughs> Can I give you some good news? The old boy said, see, senor. And when I gave the invitation, he got saved. Amen. <laughs> so maybe God was in it anyway. So everything about it was different. My size, my look, listen, they were, they were, my message even wasn't even right. And we stood out, we were scrutinized because we were strangers. And as a foreigner, and listen, it invites that. And we're foreigners in this world, we're strangers in this world. And that means the lost world's looking at you because you should be different. And they're watching your lives. But it goes on next. We've got to go on. He calls it next pilgrim. Look at that. That literally means a wanderer, a traveler, someone just passing through. And, and it's, it's, it's someone, listen, a pilgrim's one who they're just passing through so they don't bog themselves down. They don't, they don't have a, a ton of stuff they're carrying with them. And, and they, listen, can I just remind you, don't sink your roots too deep here. Amen. We're not of this world. Hey, we're in the world, but we're not of this world. Don't get bogged down in this world because this world is not my home. Just like the old song goes, I'm just passing through. Hey, my, tre my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Hey, we need to set the example. This world's watching us. We're living in a glass, we're, uh, a glass house, and, and we're strangers, and we're pilgrims, and our citizenship is in heaven. But notice next, not only our citizenship, I, I called this next one simply our consecration. He hits a word, and here comes the hard part. You said, no, that was hard. That, that's just the truth. Amen. Look at this next word. It gets a little hard. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain. Y'all see that word? Y'all say that word with me. Abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain. What's that word abstain mean? Here's what it means. It means to hold oneself, to refrain. It, and listen, notice this. God doesn't make you do it. It's a decision. It's a choice. And while he's commanded us, he's saying abstain. It's a choice you make. He doesn't just zap you and boom, your covetousness is gone. 
He doesn't just zap you and boom, your, your, your sexual desires that, that, that don't please God are gone. He doesn't just zap you and boom, your, your drinking problem's gone. He doesn't just zap you, boom, your drug problem disappears. Boom, your anger's gone. Hey, hey boom, your, 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 your bitterness is gone. And boom, your hatred's gone. He says, no, abstain. It is a choice. It's a choice you make. Can I just tell you this morning? I, I, I say this as kind as I can. Sometimes I get wound up and I don't say things too kindly. I'm working on that. Y'all, I'm still growing. Amen. The devil made me do it. That is the biggest hogwash ever out of a Christian's mouth. The devil ain't ever made you or me do anything. We do what we want to do because we want to do it. We make a choice to do it. And I want to tell you, listen, the reason we do everything is because we desire it, because we have these desires, and we don't control our lust. We don't abstain. My biggest problem in life is not, is not, is not my boss. Amen. I got a perfect one. His name is Jesus. Amen. Hey, my biggest problem in life is, is not my spouse. My biggest problem in life is not some coworker. My biggest problem in life is, is not some classmate. My biggest problem in life is not some brother and sister in Christ. My biggest problem in life is right here, the man I see in the mirror every day, and that is your biggest problem too. Hey, these bigger problems than the devil ever has been. Listen, and he tells us that we got to abstain. It is a choice. You and I are as spiritual as we want to be. You and I know as much Bible as we want to know. You and I pray as often as we want to pray. Listen, you and I read as much scripture as we want to read. You and I do what we want to do because we choose to do it. And he's telling us it's time to learn to abstain. Start wanting to do right. Amen. And it begins with you making that choice to abstain. It's a moment by moment. Day by day. Decision by decision, thought by thought, decision and choice you and I make. We're living in a society today that wants the magic pill. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Stay up past 11, watch them. They're on all night long. They call them infomercials, and they got magic pills for everything. Hey, you take this pill, you'll lose 50 pounds next week. Amen. The only way I know to lose 10 pounds, we talked about it Wednesday nights, have somebody cut your head off. Amen. And you can lose it in about a minute. And that's what they were trying to do in David's life there as we were talking. But listen, there is no magic pill. It requires work. It's a process. A process of day by day, moment by moment, making a decision to abstain and to do right. And he says abstain. Abstain. Everybody wants the power. But nobody wants the process. Can I just give you this truth? There is no power without the process. You can't have it without the process. And the process is you, individually, moment by moment, abstaining and refraining from fleshly lust. Now, what is this fleshly lust? We see it there in the text. He says, abstain from fleshly lust. And immediately we, we see that. Where does our mind go? Our mind goes immediately to sexual, doesn't it? As we're programmed that way, that's the way it goes. And, and certainly that applies here. And, and it, this would cover all those, those things we would call those sexual lusts. From adultery to pornography to fornication to relations outside of marriage. But it also recovers this in pure thoughts. And can I tell you, it also covers a bunch of other things. That word fleshly literally means this. It means carnal. It means it, it, in scripture it represents anything that's governed or controlled by human nature instead of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a lot bigger than you think, isn't it? In Scripture, the Bible tells us that the flesh 
is the opposite of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 16, he says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 17, he says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, the one to the other. In other words, they are polar opposites. So anytime you're dealing with, is this fleshly, just ask yourself, is it not spiritual? Then it's fleshly. And we struggle with those. And, and he just not only says fleshly, then that carnal desire. Listen, he talks about the fleshly lust. And here's what lusts are. That is a desire or a craving for anything that is forbidden. Put the two together and here's what you get. It's the desire that we have in our flesh, in our carnal nature, for that which is forbidden, for that which is uh, contrary to Scripture, and contrary to the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, it means sexual sins. But it means a whole lot more than that. It means drunkenness and drugs and other forbidden substance. It also means this, hatred. Amen. It means anger. It means wrath. It means strife. It means envy. All of those are works of the flesh. And any time it's a work of the flesh, it is contrary to the spirit, the Bible teaches. It means covenant. It means wanting things you don't have. It means all those things. You know, how often we want... We, go, we want those things that we don't need. And we spend money we don't have to impress people who don't like us in the first place, right? Fleshly lust. Listen, it involves anything you desire to have or possess more than you desire to have and possess an intimate relationship with an almighty God. That's a fleshly lust. One person told me this a long time ago. I love the quote. Even good things can become bad things. If it keeps us from the best things. So this would be even bigger than all that. It involves desiring roles and positions. That are contrary to scripture. That's the ambience. It requires all these are fleshly lusts. Carnal desires for that which is forbidden in scripture. And he tells us to abstain. Look why he tells us to abstain. Because not only do we see our, our citizenship and our consecration. But look at the conflict. He goes on to say this. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Look at the end of the verse 11. Which war against the soul. Which war against the soul. Why they war against the soul? Because the flesh and the spirit are polar opposites. Listen, that word war literally means this. It means a military expedition. He's telling us we're in a battle. Our flesh is, is carrying this on this conflict, this sustained military conflict against our souls. And inside of every saved person, listen, there is a civil war taking place. It's the body and the flesh's desire against the spirit's desire. And it's, a, it's the, the leading of our flesh against the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And praise God, our, our, our flesh. It, 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 listen, we've always had that. and We've always battled against that. But praise God, the day we got saved, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt us. And, and he not only indwelt us, but he stays in there and he seals us until the day of redemption. And, he, and it happened at the moment you got saved. And, and now there's this civil war going on, the spirit trying to lead and and the flesh trying to lead and we got to make a choice which one are we going to obey are we going to abstain from those fleshly desires and those and we're going to obey the spirit or are we going to obey the spirit and say no to those desires which one's going to be you can't have it both ways paul put it this way romans 6 13 he said neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto god in Romans 6, 16, he said this, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, 
God gives you a choice. Whose servant are you going to be? Some people get all macho at times like this. Ain't nobody's servant. That word servant means slave, and I ain't nobody's slave. Oh, yes, you are. You either a servant and a slave to your own fleshly, carnal desires, or you're a servant and a slave to the Most High God. I want to tell you what. I don't know about you, but I'm going to speak for me. I know me. And I don't want to be a servant to this guy anymore. I want to be a servant to the Most High God. How about you? It is a choice. It is a decision that he tells us to abstain. In fact, Paul said in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, he said, dwelleth no good thing. Whose servant are you going to be? Who's going to win the civil war in your body? The world's watching. They're watching to see because you're living in a glass house. Are they going to see you make the choice to obey the Spirit and abstain from the flesh? Or are they going to see you live a life just like them? So why should they ever be like you? We're living in a glass house, and they're watching. And with it comes responsibility. But not only we see our conflict, but notice this, our conversation. Verse 12. It goes on to say, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Peter's not talking about just the speech and the way we speak here, although it does cover that. Conversation literally means this. It means our manner of life, our behavior, the way we live our lives. And he says it needs to be honest. That word means beautiful, excellent, commendable, admirable, and and, and honorable. And and, and we as Christians should live lives that are honest, that are honorable, that are excellent. So much so that the lost world admires the way we live. But not only they admire the way we live. Look at verse 12. It goes on to say that whereas they, they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may... By your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God. Listen, they're, they're, they're watching you, and they want to speak evil against you. Now, again, our context, don't forget this as you go. These Jewish believers, they've been lied about. They're being persecuted. They're being accused of being disloyal to, to Caesar. And they, Nero's blamed them for burning Rome, and, and, and now they're being slandered. All kinds of false accusations are coming against them. And, and Peter's saying there's only one way you can truly refute when, when people bring slander against you, when people have evildoers or evildoers and speak it to you against you as evildoers. There's only really one way to you defend yourself and it isn't by lashing back it's by living a life a life so doggone good so honest that even the rest of the lost world says that can't be true about him I've watched him live that's the idea that he's teaching us here that they're watching us and they're seeing simply the truth is this we are to live in such a way that no one will ever believe any false station false accusation brought against us because they've seen our manner of life and they've beheld our good works. They say, listen, you can call him what you want. You can say what you want to about about them. I ain't believing it because I know them and I've watched their life. And that's not only true for a Christian. That's true for the lost world watching. Can that be said about your life? My grandmother, I use her a lot as an illustration because she's, she's the one that did that very thing. She wasn't very vocal about sharing her faith vocally. But I want to tell you what, she lived it. I used to think, I remember growing up, and, uh, and I've told this before, but I remember wondering what was wrong with Grandma. Amen. Now, what kind of drugs is Grandma on? She's always happy. 
She was, by the way, she wasn't happy. She was just joy-filled, amen. She had the joy of the Lord in her, and that was her strength. And I remember watching her, and I, I would see her, her good works. I would see how she handled situations. That whatever Grandma takes, I want some of that, amen. You know what? I found out what Grandma has, amen. His name is, a per, is Jesus Christ, and she had a personal relationship with a real living Savior that radically transformed her life, and it showed up. You could have said anything in our community you wanted about my grandmother, and I'm going to tell you, even the lost world in that community would have said, uh-uh, that's a bunch of hogwash. We've seen her life. What would they say about yours? What would they say about mine? By the way we live. That's what Peter's driving home for us today. He's saying, listen, our conversation, our manner of life ought to be so honest. And we should live in such a way that even when false accusations are brought against us, even the lost world would say, no way, not them. I've seen their life. Now, why do we do that? Let me just finish with this. I couldn't figure out which word to use. I'll figure out which one I put up here in a minute. Our cause. I called it our clout. And our cause both are pretty good words for this. Because can I tell you, people are watching you. You're living in a glass house. With that comes the responsibility to abstain and do these truths we've talked about. But with it also comes a little clout. With it also, there's a cause for this. Because they're watching us, watch what Peter says can happen. Verse 12. Having your conversation, your manner of lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles that... Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, which they've witnessed, which they've seen firsthand, glorify God in the day of visitation. You say, what's all, that? What's all those words mean? What's he trying to say? Simply put, listen, when we live in a way that glorifies God and they see it as they watch us through the, this glass house, it will cause other non-believers to turn to God. Wow. To turn to God. Can I just tell you, I can go, you can go, and we can witness to people, and we can tell them truth after truth after truth after truth. There's a lot of people out there that aren't just going to listen to what they say until they see how we live. And when we live and our life doesn't match what we're saying, they're going to say, hey, what's the word they use for Christian? Hypocrite. But when they match, or even better, when our life even outlives our lips, and, and, our, and they see that, God says, they, that, they're watching you through that glass house, and it's going to draw them unto me, but by your good works that one day not only will you glorify God, but they will glorify God. In the day of visitation. Now, that day of visitation is an interesting word. we got to just explain it for just a minute. I can't skip by it. There's, there's two primary views of that. First, uh, the first view that a lot of people believe is it, it means the day when Christ returns. And, and in that day, can I tell you, uh, listen, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or don't believe in him, whether you're, you call yourself an atheist or a Christian, whether you, it doesn't really, whether you believe the Bible is the word of God or you believe it's just some book written by men, it really don't matter what you believe. In that day, every time, tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You're going to confess him one way or another. And so they believe what that says is you're going to remember some of those you saw that lived it. And you're going to glorify him as Lord one way or another. So you might as well do it on this side, amen, where it matters. That's one view of it. And, 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 and I can see that I actually subscribe to this second view a little more myself. But the second view is this. It means the day when God's grace visits. Your life. 
The day when the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God, shows you that you're lost. And because you've seen other Christians live a life that's honest, and you saw their good works, and you got hungry and thirsty for what they had, that day the Holy Spirit started knocking on your heart's door and said, open up. Hey, listen, I've come to save you. Today you need to repent. Today you need to turn and put your trust in Christ. That is your day of visitation. And for some of you, it might be this very day. If you've never realized you were lost and undone, a sinner, by the way, we all were, amen. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you've never turned and repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Can I, can I tell you what Jesus said? He said, repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent means change my mind. I need to change my mind, first of all, about my sin and agree with God that I'm a sinner. And then I need to change my mind about myself and agree with God that I can't save myself. It's, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And change my mind about myself. I, and most importantly, change my mind about my Savior. It's not me. It's not the Baptist church. It's not some other denomination. It's not any preacher. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Change my mind and then believe the gospel. That word believe puts my full weight and trust in, just like you did in that pew. The gospel, what is it? That Jesus died for my sins and was buried according to the Scripture and rose again the third day according to the Scripture for my sins. His death, His burial, His resurrection. That's what you must believe. Paul said that is the message which I've declared unto you. And that is the message by which you are saved. Listen, if you don't understand He died for you, was buried and rose again, and He did it just for you for, to pay for your sin debt, then today put your trust in that. And today could be your day of visitation. And He'll save your soul this very day. The day of the grace of God pulled on that heart. I don't know which one's right. But I know which side I want to be on no matter which way you view. I want to be on God's. If we'd all be honest, we'd know somebody. We could all say we know somebody that lived it. Oh, somebody that we beheld their good works. Somebody that we know lived that honest life. And that's somebody that influenced our life. I could go around this room. If you're saved in here this morning, every one of you could list somebody like that, just like I did with my grandmother. Here's the question. Would somebody say that about you? That's Peter's challenge today. Because we're living in the glass house. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for... Lord, the call in our lives, Lord, to abstain, not to be saved, but because of the mercy and the salvation you've already bestowed on us. Lord, we're living in glass houses. Help us to live lives that glorify you. Help us to live lives that, Lord, you told us we're the salt of the earth. That make people thirsty for what we have. That personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You called us the light of the world. Lord, help us to live lives that reflect the light that's in us. That came from you. And point people to Jesus. Lord, help us to be an instrument 
and leading them to their day of visitation. God, we're living in a glass house, and whether we like it or not, this world is watching. Help us not to be stumbling blocks, but help us be those that make others glorify God. Have your will and way in this invitation, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room. Just have really two questions for you today. and No one's looking around. Listen, you're in a place where we're not going to call you out or embarrass you. We're not going to do that. But the first and most important question for every single one of us in this room is simply this. Have you had your day of visitation? Has there been a time, a point, a moment in your life where you realized you were a sinner? Don't tell me you've always believed in God. They don't cut it. You might always believe there was a God, but you've never, you haven't always believed, put your full weight and trust in what Jesus did for you on Calvary. But today could be that day. If you've never had a time, a, a moment, a place where you realized you were a sinner separated from a holy God, and you put your full weight and trust in the fact that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again for you, and you turned to him, and you called upon his name. My Bible still says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My Bible still says, Romans 10, 9, I read it this morning. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, there's your gospel message, that, that we shall be saved. That means you this morning. Today could be your day of visitation. If that's you in this place right now, I invite you to call upon his name. I'm going to pray a prayer. And listen, you can repeat the words of this prayer for the rest of your life and it won't save you if you don't believe it in your heart. It's not the words of the prayer that say it's the object, but the Bible does say confession of the mouth is necessary. Agree with God today that you're a sinner. Agree with God that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he died for you and rose again from the dead. Agree with God that He is Lord. And He'll save you this morning. If that's you right now, right where you're standing, in the quietness of this room, pray something like this from the heart. And He'll save you today. Father God, I confess, I agree with you that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. And I believe he was buried. And he rose again the third day for my sins. And I'm turning to you now, Lord Jesus. Confessing you as my Savior. And by faith I receive the free gift of eternal life. Thank you Lord Jesus for saving. With every head bowed. Every eye still closed. No one's looking around. I'm not coming to where you are. I'm not calling you out. I'm not embarrassing you. But I do want to pray for you. If today you, you prayed that prayer and you meant it. 
You believed what you prayed and you prayed it from the heart. You got your eternity settled. I just want to pray for you. Right now with no one looking around, no one's calling you out, no one's embarrassing you. Say, Preacher, I prayed that. Would you pray for me? I asked the Lord to save me today. Anybody like that in the room, just put it up, put it right back down. And I won't call you out and I won't embarrass you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else like that today? I got, got it settled today. I asked him. I confessed him as Lord. Anyone else like that today? Father, I promised I wouldn't call anyone out, and I won't. But Lord, I want to thank you for being a God that still saves sinners. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the simple truth that when we get to the end of ourselves and we see ourselves as we really are, that there's a holy and a wonderful and a gracious and a merciful God that says, just come to me and I'll give you rest. Father, I pray for the one that raised their hand, Lord. Raising their hand doesn't mean that they got it settled, Lord, but they're professing that they made that decision today. And if they did in their heart, then it's settled. I pray, Lord, you'd help them now to make it public. Lord, that comes through baptistry. Lord, uh, to make it, to, to dig in and to grow in your word by getting in your word. and To be discipled and learn all about you. To grow in grace and knowledge. And I pray we'd be the kind of church that would help them come alongside in that, in that adventure. Lord, we thank you for being a God that still saves sinners. And thank you that there's rejoicing amongst the angels today in heaven. Father, I have a Second question. My second question is just simply this. It's for the ones here that would say, I know I'm going to heaven. I got that settled, preacher. I wonder how many of us could just be real honest, though, and say, if people are looking through my glass house, I'm not sure I want them seeing the way I live. How many would just be honest and say that might be true about me? Any hands up? Any hands up? That's Peter's call. That's the word of God's call to your life today. Abstain. Live a life of honesty that leads others to glorify God. Because they're watching you. Maybe you need to do business with God. You can do that in your seat or this altar is going to be open as we sing. Whatever your need. glass houses Try me, oh is our life and our conversation our manner of living my is it drawing other people to Jesus I pray or is it a stumbling block pushing them away one of the main questions to determine the answer to that question is how well do you do abstaining abstaining from those fleshly lusts any forbidden desire from Scripture that comes from the flesh and not from the Spirit. That's a question we're called to abstain. Make the right choice so that others will glorify God.
see in your glass house. They are watching. I'm going to ask Brother Sizemore if you'd close us in prayer.